0: This week on The Lunch, my guest is Pat Healy, the star of the upcoming Cheap Thrills and also such films as The Innkeepers and Compliance. Remember, The Lunch is brought to you by Snoot Entertainment, makers of fine independent films. a regular podcast about film and, yes, food. Every week I have a midday meal with a creator or a critic in the world of film. And then after that meal we uh, talk about uh, what we talked about while we ate as well as where we ate. This week it's very much my pleasure to have, as my guest, Mr. Pat Healy, an actor known for his work in films from Compliance to Great World of Sound, also for The Innkeepers and the upcoming Draft House Films release, Cheap Thrills. Mr. Healy can be found on Twitter at Pat underscore Healy, Mr. Healy, thank you very kindly for joining us.
1: Thanks, James. Glad to be here.
0: So, uh, Cheap Thrills just had a great LA debut at the Vista. Mm-hmm. Uh, the crowd went crazy. Co-presented in part by CineFamily. Family, but for people who don't know the film, can you give them a quick praise or would you rather I did that? No, yeah, awkward? it's
1: uh, it's a film about uh, sort of uh, two down on the luck guys. Uh, myself, uh, who is a young father of an infant son. Uh, who loses his job and receives an eviction notice on the same day, and uh, his old friend that he runs into that Ethan Embry plays, who's a sort of uh, low-rent uh, debt collector. Flash uh, leg breaker. Yeah, exactly. He, uh, he, he's down on his luck as well. We uh, have a chance meeting in a bar where we meet a, 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 an eccentric rich couple played by David Keckner and Sarah Paxton, And uh, as the money starts to flow and the booze starts to flow and the drugs start to flow, uh, certain money comes out for dares. And uh, as the night goes on and people get more intoxicated and more money comes out, uh, the stakes get higher and things get weirder.
0: It's a stake of funny, friendly bets that stop being funny. Correct. And stop being friendly. And it goes from, I'll give you $200 if you can get that woman to slap you. Right. To five hundred dollars to punching a bouncer first. Sure. And then by the end of a film Yeah. Things have gone on a green money slope pretty much straight to hell.
1: Yeah, and you can I mean, certain people have, you know, pointed out that there's the film is an analogy to, you know, capitalism or, or our current state of being. It's not a polemic, you know, in that way. It's not a you know, an overtly political film, but ultimately it even sort of comes down to not really even being about the money, we might say, like, uh, in the way we, we were discussing Breaking Bad, where, you know, he's offered the money early on and says no out of pride and ego and all these things, you know, that, that is sort of like embracing this male nature of competition and, and uh, one-upsmanship and all that stuff that the film explores as well. Um, and it's an interesting sort of uh, ride of being... Deeply disturbing at times, but also being great fun. As you mentioned, the premiere—I mean, it's—it's it's always a raucous screening when people see this movie in the theater.
0: Oh, it's the interesting because David Koechner is such a funny guy, yeah. And the, the two—you know—you can say that not to play armchair psychologist here, but one of the big roots of comedy is insecurity. Uh-huh. But nothing gives you a better training in faking over security than being insecure. And the way Mr. Koechner's character just. <laughs>
1: bullies his way through this film like a yeah. force of nature is really really great yeah he's uh, he is a force of nature he's also someone who lures you in with his, his comedic sensibilities and his charm and uh, once you're sort of in his embrace as we are in the film he, he twists the knife which is not something we often see in his performances but is new and I, I just always like when an actor does that you know we may have talked about this before I love like you know Ned Beatty in uh, Network, or, uh, you know, uh, uh, Pat Hingle in The, in the Grifters, or uh, Wilford Brimley in The Firm, you know. Wilford I, Brimley in The a Firm. A lovable character actor who, who just is just becomes completely terrified. Yeah.
0: Uh, whenever I hear a phrase, Wilford Brimley in The Firm, I just yeah. could hear in my head him threatening Tom Cruise. I'll kill you
1: and your whole family. Yeah,
0: that's right. A young wife's wife parents. A young wife is going to find photographs, <laughs> yeah. acts of an intimate nature. A young wife <laughs> yeah. is going to find hard. There's understand. some of that in this film, too. And even harder yeah. to forgive.
1: It would have been interesting to have Wilford Brimley play the part that they've played. Yeah, but. It would have totally changed the movie. Yeah, uh, but for, probably Brimley not for. married to Sarah Paxton. Probably, not for, probably not for the better. Probably not for a better. A different movie, let's say.
0: But uh, the other thing is, I mean, this is that class. this could pretty much almost be a play. And I'm a big fan of films that have that kind of closeness. I'm not saying they have to resemble the theater. Yeah. and goodness knows, the film has great shooting, great lighting. I just mean in terms of it all pretty much unfolds at four locations. your home, your work, a bar, their home.
1: Yeah, essentially one location, I mean, you know for, for, for the, most of the film, which is their home. And, uh, you know, Evan Katz, who is uh, a writer and the director of the film, and, uh, you know, loves Pinter and, and um, you know, uh, Albie and, and, and Mamet, and certainly we've talked about, um, you know, Virginia Woolf, and uh, he loves Tracy Lett's plays, you know, and Tracy's, the films of Tracy's plays that, that Freakin' has done, Bug and uh, Killer Joe, and it has that kind of uh, tension versus, uh, you know, comedy and violence versus you know sort of a placid almost silence at times you know the 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 benefit to it as an actor is we're running full scenes with a couple different cameras running so we're actually really acting and reacting to each other which you know is uh, you know the audience can feel that happening and you you know often when you do a film you're doing a little piece of this here there and there you might not even have the person you're talking to in the same room um as was the case with this, I think it really works because it has that crackle of people actually in the room together really going through this, which we really kind of worked as we had no time and no money, so it was tense and crazy like that. But um, it's certainly not uncinematic because it's it, it has this thing about tension, you know, uh, and suspense, which we were just discussing before when we were talking about Hitchcock's suspense being the we know there's a bomb in the room and you just keep everyone going on. And we know the timer time. is counting down. <laughs> right, as exactly. As opposed to
0: shock just being you and I sitting here and kaboom.
1: And I think every movie is good because of suspense, whether it's a comedy or whatever. It's, it's this idea of not knowing what's going to happen next. And it's one of the things that's very wrong with most movies now is that we not only know because the script is basically written with, you know, uh, Mad Libs, but, but the trailer tells us everything. So it's nice to be surprised by a movie. I hesitate to even tell as much as I have about the, about the film, because people kind of coming into it raw, you know, really have no idea. And to say that it's a movie about people being offered money for dares is even a a bit of a misnomer. That's sort of the window in, but it becomes about so much more, you know.
0: And it, it would be a lot less interesting if your character and uh, Mr. Embry's character weren't old friends who have now right. reunited by chance. and it's fairly clear that he never thought that much of you and he probably still doesn't.
1: And right, and, and, and vice versa. Right. And, and also there's the, the, there are, let's say, role reversals in the film and there are at, at various different points of the film and no one is what uh, they seem, really, ultimately. I think that's what's really interesting about it, too, is that every single character is a surprise. Um, all four of the main characters are a surprise, and um, it's a surprise, I think, to audiences at, at what each person might do and, 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 and what they end up doing and what and why, you know? And yet, perfectly understandable somehow, as, as absurd and, and sort of grandiose and, and crazy and, as it gets, it comes from a place, a very smart place of, of really real life situations that... You know, I was talking with you earlier about Lone Survivor, which is a movie that's coming out that I saw. Peter
0: Berg's upcoming film right. about a group of, uh, I believe, the Navy, Navy SEAL snipers, yeah. on long-range patrol in Afghanistan, right. who are ambushed and right. are under overwhelming odds.
1: And the film, you know, I, some people know the story and have read the book uh, that Marcus Luttrell wrote. Uh, revolves around a, 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 a single moral question, which I won't, we won't talk about here, but uh, you know that. Frankly, it's a question that 99.9% of us will never have to ask, let alone answer. Right. That these guys have to, and it's impossible to think how you would answer because you can't imagine yourself in that situation. And really, there's so few people that would be in that situation. So we could talk about that with *Cheap Thrills*. Certainly, the stakes are not as high as as they are with *As In Lone Survivor*, which is about you know the, the war in Afghanistan and everything, but. Um, it's true of compliance as well, and some of the criticism of compliance, which is like, well, those people are so dumb, or why do they do it? Nobody really knows what they do until they're in that very specific situation, whole, that perfect storm of...
0: The whole angle of criti- quote-unquote criticism of these people are dumb. Why did they do that? It only goes so far. Yeah. And the thing is that people in crisis situations have reactions to things that you would not have for we the have benefit Stockholm of... Syndrome. We have... Well, you know, right, but even that like... You're sitting in a warm chair in a warm room with Correct. a full stomach and a good night's sleep. Somebody in the dramatic circumstances, probably
1: not. And I find that a very valuable, valid form of cinema or theater or whatever, because it is—it's cathartic, you know—to to watch it not be you. And you can take it any way you want. Like I, the thing I really like about Cheap Thrills is that you can be the guys that Ethan and I play. And what would you do? Or you can be David and Sarah, who are kind of the puppet masters and who are enjoying watching people debase each other, which is sort of like what reality television is for people now. Like, it's funny because it's not me. And, oh, their life is so much worse than mine. Right. Or you can be both. You could go back and forth. I mean, we all have those qualities within ourselves to look at and judge things that way. I think it is... Uh, erroneous to 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 go like oh yeah like you said I'm sitting in my more uncomfortable chair here and I know what I would do. I would situation. not have
0: acted as uh, I mean it's like why does uh, Sandra Bullock yell whoa so many times in Gravity and the answer <laughs> is her character is legitimately terrified <laughs> and about floating to die in space. She's about to die and people tend to get upset when that happens. Yeah,
1: it's it's uh, it's sort of uh, silly. Uh, I think some of it comes from this culture now of. You know, everyone talks about interactive interactive and everything has message boards and everything has uh you know uh comment section and, and so everyone's opinion is therefore valid and therefore everyone must give an opinion and and, and uh, not only about the thing as a whole but like each separate detail we've become so um obsessed with analysis of every single thing and you know, I don't I rarely watch like behind the scenes things or listen to commentaries on DVDs and things and I'm you know, I'm a total cinephile but I I don't necessarily wanna know all that stuff and I don't necessarily have something to say about all of it, you know what I mean? I know that when I watch when I approach something like compliance or cheap thrills or when I watch something like Gravity or Lone Survivor, I, I want to be able to A put myself in that position because Essentially, films are—we don't need three D really. We have, you know, movies are, especially on a big screen, an experience that invites us to be participatory.
0: And if you even have a scintilla of imagination, you can go you to that. You imagine yourself
1: in that thing, but I also, you know, you can imagine yourself in that position even unconsciously. You become Sandra Bullock, or you become me, or you know, whoever it is that you're watching, you know. But you know, the second thing that I want out of a movie is I want to be surprised, whether that's in oh, I've never seen an actor do that before to, like, I don't know what's going to happen in this movie, you know. I didn't know the story of Cheap Thrills as I was reading the script. I didn't know the story of Lone Survivor. I had never read the book or anything, so I just couldn't believe that this all this could keep happening, and that's, like, it's what's missing a lot from, from, from movies now, but I like it, and, you know, to circle back to what you were saying about theater before, too, and, and Cheap Thrills being, like, a good piece of theater, like... You know, theater has an ability to, you know, I prefer cinema, but it's like theater has an ability to wow us by, like, ma- inviting us to literally be there in the room with those people. And that's what this movie does really well. I think it's what, what Cat, Evan Katz does really well. It feels movie.
0: a combination of both observed and eavesdropped. Correct. Or I mean, the whole thing about the Brazilification of a film industry, like, every movie now either costs $200 million mm-hmm. or $200. Mm-hmm. And nothing in between i mean that's a constraint for you know directors trying to hire actors you have to hire the huge star to get the film made uh regardless of whether or not leonardo dicaprio would make a good gatsby right but i mean is it also constraining us in that everything has to have a happy ending everything has to have characters act as people would most like them to everything has to set up for a potential franchise
1: i mean it's a weird dichotomy because it's it's it, it, yes, I agree with right. you. Know, they're doing that, but it's not bringing more people in. It's keeping people away because I think people essentially are not surprised. I mean, I think Gravity is so successful because it is something new. Right. Whether or not the story is com- a complete surprise, it's a new way of telling the story that's right. interesting to people. It's the
0: classic Jack London survival tale. Yes. Right. You know, even back to Jonah in the whale, yeah. I mean, the human being in a harsh environment, they have to survive it. Correct. But the movie does throw several curveballs, yeah. which are appreciated. And again, it does star two of the biggest international movies. Well, series.
1: absolutely. Um, I mean, that—that's just the okay. Well, we got to get the people in the theater, but they also happen to be terrific actors. So it was fortunate for us. It's not always the case. Um, right. I think that you know there are movies that are breakthroughs, like uh, I was discussing, *Silver Linings Playbook*, which is is sort of one of those mid-range price movies. I mean, it's a low budget for that movie with that cast. Right. But everybody had to work for free, you know. And But they've made a lot of money. The movie's made a lot of money, and those people have since been paid, I'm sure, and they've won right. awards and all that stuff like that. But I think that, um, yeah, it's a problem. I mean, I miss these sort of... I miss dramas with real... Um, Human production, beings. Va- With real human beings, but also real production value. It's like right. it's like you almost have to like choose one or the other. It's a surprise now if you happen to have a movie that has excellent production value and and um, you know and and is and is a good story too. Uh, Lone Survivor, from what I understand, was is a movie that was made for a lot less than they originally wanted to, but I think it works in the movie's favor because it makes it a very intimate experience. And when you see it, you know you know what I mean. Um, it doesn't need all the bells and whistles. In fact. You know operates better because of that but I also think that there is a good side to it in that you know you mentioned getting actors to do things for a little money well what gets an actor to do things for a little money is is a great script so it's incumbent upon people to write great scripts you know the problem is getting the scripts to those people you have to kind of know someone because agents who are the you know the the gatekeepers, the guard, the gatekeepers don't want to give those scripts to those actors because they know they'll fall in love with them. And there's no money for them.
0: And meanwhile, they can get more money for doing sequel part eight.
1: Sure, and it's a silly um, way about doing things because if you put Jennifer Lawrence in Silver Lining's playbook, she becomes a much bigger star and she wins an Oscar. I mean, you know, yes, she's in Hunger Games and all this stuff, but like it put her in a whole different league of, you know, of, of, the way people saw her and looked at her so you know and and you know certainly increased her hunger games paycheck even i'm sure because she won an academy award for the second one so um it's short-sighted anybody in something good that people see will increase your profile will increase the profile of that director that writer all those people and if other people want to will want to hire them from things that do pay money it's happening for me now it's like i'm I've done these small movies for, for little money because I have a career as a screenwriter that affords me to be able to do them and now I'm being hired to be in things for money. So
0: But you're also saying that you were sort of in this place where you're like, Okay, I am what the industry considers a character actor. Mm-hmm. I'm that guy, I'll just show up with my horn rims and play an endless series
1: of computer sure, programs. But not even a character actor who's like, you know, playing significant roles in a movie like a day here, a day there, or a guest star on T V shows. Not not something nourishing, you know what I mean? Like right. we used to have, you know, in the, in the, even as late as the '80s and '90s, you know, we don't really have those kinds of. You can't really make your career that way anymore. You kind of mm-hmm. have to be a, a a leading man, you know, or, or or some sort of recognizable figure, you know. Um, but uh, I think that that even seeing me in a movie, you know, and as as a leading man is interesting to people because they, you know like oh well we've been looking at leading men for a decade plus now that that a lot of whom look like young women you know and um i'm not saying anything about the masculinity i'm just saying it's like there's not a lot of interesting leading men american leading men anyway we've got a lot of you know brits and australians and stuff playing these characters that maybe robert mitchum or uh, you know even people like sylvester Stallone, the george or kennedy well, yeah you know we don't have that anymore so like I think if people see me, I mean, I'm certainly not at this level yet, but, like, they they can relate more somehow because I'm not, I'm like them, you know. I think that's why Melissa McCarthy's, you know, career has blossomed because, like, you know, she's star of two really big hit movies. I think she'll be one of the top, she's probably the number two grossing box office star of the year after Sandra Bullock, you know, because... People want to see her because they like her, you know, and they're like her. They, that's, they're they not seeing themselves in the movies represented a whole lot more. And that brings up, you know, this whole point of, like, movies could be windows or they can be mirrors. And, you know, I think there's too many windows now. There's too many, like, escapism, too much escapism, and not enough, like, let's look at ourselves.
0: I always talk about how movies give us escapism, but film festivals give us escape from escapism. Yeah. Like, if I want to see a character... Who looks like me and lives in an apartment like mine? I usually have to go to Sundance or South by
1: Southwest. Well, and I'm not even saying okay. There's a big blockbuster, and then there's movies who you know about regular people. It's like you know, certainly some of my favorite movies this year are like Drinking Buddies and things like that are are, are movies like that. But you know, whatever happened to the big movies that had people like that in them? Yeah. I mean, the '70s and the '80s and even the '90s are filled with movies like that about people that seem like recognizable humans but we're kind of like working on these you know being a screenwriter and being having been on the other side of it and being part of the development process have been through like how they're like okay we do this now because this is what we do and i'm like well, who wants to see that i mean if i know what i is going to happen then what's my purpose for sitting here except passing the time and escaping but that's right. boring you know
0: is there a, i have this whole thing which is uh it's incredibly satisfying in a lot of ways Watching foreign cinema isn't just great because you get a sense of new talents. And it's not just great because you get a sense of different cultural context being expressed through plot. Right. And it's not just great because you get a sense of a different culture and a way certain things happen globally. It's also great because a lot of the times it's like, oh, that character just showed up. Now, that could be the George Clooney of Israel. That could be the Pat Healy of Israel. I don't know, correct, and thus I have no expectation about what will happen to them, predicated upon my. Now I've met Pat Healyberg, but Pat Healy of Israel. <laughs> I'm kidding, of course. Um, but I love that because I don't have that whole thing baked in of that. So and so, everything's probably going to go okay for them, or they're not going to suddenly saw somebody's head off.
1: Yeah. Well, at the same time, I love acting and I love watching acting, and I, you know, people always say like. I like when an actor can make you forget, you know, that they're an actor or they're playing, you know, that that they're playing a role and, and you just get sucked into the character and the story. But I do like watching movie stars do what they do well. Like, I, I know some people have argued about Captain Phillips, you know, as not being as engaging because it's, you know, as a recognizable, you know, a very recognizable star and Tom Hanks in the lead, but... I don't know that I would find that movie that interesting without a, a great movie star at the, at, the, at the center of it. There's something that it, about his, his weight and gravity as a, as a person that he brings to it, and it's certainly sort of like, at least the, his persona of you know dignity and 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 you know being a, a regular guy, you know, that brings something to it that elevates it. I, I don't I don't think I like documentaries, and I love uh, you know that style of sort of like you know docudramas, but I do love it when. An actor or a filmmaker makes something that is both relatable and operatic, you know? Brando is my favorite actor, not because he was so realistic. It was like, he was realistic and larger than life at the same time. And
0: now and then he just went crazy. I mean, I, yeah. I can differentiate between, like, the work of...
1: There's Brando, there's De Niro, there's Streep. There's, those are three actors that did that, that could do that simultaneously, Take you, uh, you know, be larger than life and be completely, you know, realistic. You know? I'd
0: also argue early Pacino. Sure. And when you watch A Godfather. I mean, film,
1: there's many other yeah. acts I could talk about, but I would say, like, on a consistent level, those they are, you know, the most theatrical and the most realistic at the same time, you know.
0: I mean, the thing is that, like, I can watch The Battle of Algiers and I can yeah. watch Singing in the Rain and recognize that those are two very different approaches to storytelling. Yeah. I love They're equally big, good. Yeah. I love a big fake movie. Right. But also when you have a movie that A good
1: fake movie. <laughs> right.
0: right. I, I mean you know I mean there are plenty of bad Gene Kelly musicals. Sure. There are plenty of bad Disney films. Yeah. Just because you're going to the outer edge of a modification intrinsic to a medium, yeah. there are also plenty of bad Cassavetti's ripoffs. There are plenty of yeah. bad post Kevin Smith, let's sit around. Too and talk like many we're because high. they're
1: they're easy to to make. And we live in an age where <laughs> hitting record is hey, certain aesthetic. I yeah. think that's just as much of a problem now as the, as the sort of, you know, thing you were talking about the the of things. I think I think the fact that it's it's hard to argue that people should be able allowed to do what they want, but I think the fact that just because everyone can, they do make a movie is a problem because it's clogging the pipeline and and keeping things from really, you know, getting the attention they deserve. But well, you know, it's democratized it, but has it made it better? I don't know. Where
0: the whole joke that 200 people bought the first Velvet Underground record, right. but each one of those 200 people started a band. Yeah. The next question is, how many of those bands were actually... Right, better.
1: correct. No, we never get to that question. Right, and yeah. it's like,
0: you know, a lot of bad punk bands yeah. had to happen to give us the Ramones, and that's great, I'm just not sure if I want to listen to one of the bad bands for right. a couple hours.
1: No, it's fine. It's like, you know, you can't stop it, and nor should you try to, you know, and I'm not... But I, I would ask people to really think, you know, is this something that, um, you know, really should be done? Is this something that should really be told? Is Am I the person to tell this, you know, story or this give this experience or whatever? Because, like, the answer a lot of times is no. The answer to a lot of these things I see is who gives a shit? Whether it's a $200 million movie that I don't care about or a movie made for $10 that I see at a film festival, I'm just like, why did anyone think that we'd want to see this movie about these boring people, and, and why are these people showing it? I mean, obviously, some people like it, but... There know.
0: was a couple of years at Sundance where every male protagonist, they just wanted to give him a shot of scotch, a steak, slap them, and say, Brando style,
1: be a man! Yeah, well, we went through a a, a, a period of, of uh, you know, I guess, emasculation. As, as, uh, you know, these sort of, like, uh, passive uh, whiners. Um, And I'm I'm certainly not a, uh, you know, macho man by any any stretch of the imagination, but uh, it's not a terribly uh, dramatically interesting trait. Like, I saw the Donald Rumsfeld documentary that Errol Morris made, which I like, and it's interesting, because he's an interesting figure. Right. But as a dramatic figure, he's inert. Right. He's a guy who's not giving you anything. So it's just not... It would have been great if he cracked him but he he didn't and he's not going to you're never gonna crack him. It's not that like guy.
0: McNamara. That the, guy, yeah, exactly. In the McNamara thing that guy legitimately shows concern, did we do the right Correct. thing? Correct.
1: And it's surprising because it's you know, he did all this stuff and and there's there's drama and there's conflict there, you know, because he's torn about what about his decisions. But, you know, Rumsfeld is just like it's like a fascinating case study rather than an interesting, you know, piece of drama, which is what fog of war is, you know. Right. Um, it's like, wow, it's so fascinating this man does not know himself
0: at all. Well, that, you know, Donald Rumsfeld is still, you know, philosophically balled up like an armadillo. He's yeah. got, like, intersecting plates over everything going, no, never break, never crack.
1: Yeah, of course, and it's been built up over many years. He's in his 80s now, you know, and, and, and so I just think that all this stuff that we're sort of talking about is like, is it, yeah, realistic is great. Uh, lone Survivor, I'm going to keep talking about this, this is a great movie and you're all going to see it and you're all going to agree, is incredibly realistic. But it is dramatically interesting. It, it has a story that has twists and turns. It has larger-than-life consequences and questions and, and things. And it's just not enough to just be realistic and it's not enough to be a movie-movie big. My, it's got to be both.
0: My, my mom, God rest her soul, was a huge English literature nerd. Mm-hmm. So, lots of stuff going around our household, you know, very early exposure to the greater works. And was that great line from, I think it's Macbeth, that always struck me, you know, he had no spur to prick the sides of his own intent. Hmm. And a lot of the times I'll be watching a movie and I'll go, where is the spur to prick the sides of the intent of this film? What's going to drive it to make things happen? I don't need that to be right decisions or actions, I don't e- even need them to be tactile decisions or actions i just need a feeling that the character in this wants to drive something forward and how do they do that
1: right and you know you know what you just reminded me of something we were talking about earlier which is like you know do all movies have to have happy endings and do do you know these big movies that cost a lot of money and does so and so have to be such and such and a question that comes up in those same discussions is was this character likable and it's not it makes not one iota of difference if the character is quote unquote likable whatever the f that means are they interesting right I mean, are they engaging <laughs> i mean if if that were if that were the case and people didn't like movies where the characters weren't likable then scarface wouldn't be a movie you couldn't go day through without somebody mentioning it somewhere i mean that's probably the least likable protagonist in a movie everywhere, anywhere, and yet everyone loves that movie, you know, it's like, it, it is not, it is not about likability, it is about interest, yeah, you know, I, who do people like in Silence of the Lambs? Not Clarice, they like Hannibal Lecter, and he's only in the movie for 20 minutes, but that's right. all they talk about,
0: and that's what all the sequels are about, you They know? don't call the play Macduff, no. who winds up being he's king, the thank God, yeah, yeah, We're talking with actor Pat Healy, star of the upcoming Cheap Thrills. Speaking of characters playing, quote-unquote, bad guys, can we talk briefly about Compliance? Because this is a film that I saw at Sundance, loved it completely, um, based on a true story directed by Craig Zobel with a tremendous ensemble. Um, And after it, did you get more people going, you're that guy, you're the worst guy in the world?
1: Well, no. I mean, what I thought would be... When Craig asked me to do the movie, I had hesitation about it because I found it very troubling, and I knew, and I thought that there was a chance that it could be thought of in that way, you know. And I, you know, professionally, I don't care if I'm thought of that way. Personally, you know, professionally, I don't care if I'm thought of in that way. Personally, I don't like to be confused with, you know, the characters I play, uh, especially a nasty. is one as nasty as that one? But I've been really surprised in that I haven't had a lot of, I've had a lot of appreciation for that film, and not a lot of people crossing the street to get away from me, or people saying, you know, I've had a lot of people saying, "What a great performance!" Not, not you know, "But you're a real creep or you're a real scumbag or whatever." There's something about that movie that I think people recognize it as being. Maybe they don't want to accept that I'm, you know, that 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 that, that, you're that, that guy. anyone close to me. So it's easier for them. To separate it out. I mean, even my own parents, who I would have much rather not seen the film, you know, saw it and, and really loved it too. So um, uh, it, it, it definitely is the last movie I ever thought would be a boon to my career. I did it because of my, you know, long relationship with Craig, my personal and professional relationship with him, and because I thought it was a, again, that was something I, I thought should be told and should be told by him, and I guess by me. Uh, but uh, I didn't think it was going to do anything for my career. I thought, if anything, maybe it would hurt my career. But it has been a huge boon to my career because people have seen it and see what I can do and hired me for things. And people have gone back and seen Grey World of Sound, which is the first film that we made in which I am play a very different character.
0: Which is, to me, maybe one of the best American movies ever made about popular culture. Thank you. Well, I'm just saying that. But.
1: I mean, I'm biased, but I agree. I mean, yeah. I, you know, I... I, 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 I i'm I'm glad that people have gone back and seen that movie because they like this one so much and um it's been offered roles because people went back and saw that film, so it's all been good and, and you know it's all been it was a distressing in the early days of showing the film at the festivals, you know, starting with Sundance, very tumultuous
0: theory. yeah, I mean,
1: I think that people were sort of focused on the wrong things, which is you know a is this a piece of exploitation? You know, and the answer is flat out no. And I danced around it for a long time and tried to be sensitive to people's needs. But if you think that movie is a piece of exploitation, you should have your head examined. And I'm, not, ve- I'm not going to mince it's words. It's very it easy to
0: imagine Russ
1: Meyer's compliance. <laughs> Please, they. Yeah. But you know, the other thing is like, oh, I don't believe it. Well, you know, part of the movie is about watching something that's unbelievable that actually happened, um, very much in the way that we portray it, and. You know, the question isn't, uh, you know, I don't believe... You know, you shouldn't say, I, don't, I can't believe this is happening. It's like, this is unbelievable. Why is this happening? Then you find, discover interesting things, which is like what we talked about before. which is like, okay, who were these people that were brought together and what were the things that were specific to them and their environment in that moment that caused this thing to happen? Right. If you stop it as, I don't believe this or this is exploitation... You kind of avoid asking those tough questions and you avoid kind of moving forward both in your critique of the film and in your life, I think, you know?
0: Well there's also the whole thing of just because you do not like a set of facts, it does not render them unfactual. To me
1: that I mean, it brings back the thing we're talking about, likability versus interesting. It's like that's a really interesting case. I read about it and then I go like what 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 happened? What what and I I don't know the answer, but I'm I'm investigating and discovering and both doing the movie and reading about it afterwards, you know, like, because I'm interested in human beings and human nature and in and, and, and the way the world works, you know. And that's one of the reasons why I love movies, because they can illuminate that. And some people just aren't interested in that, you know what I mean? I think they just, I don't, I'm don't. i not saying, look, you can like the movie, not like the movie, or you're, you're completely entitled to your opinion, you know, or, or something about it may bother you. I'm not... I'm not saying everyone should like that movie and everyone's wrong for not like if they don't like it. But I'm just saying that if you stop on these very basic sort of like surface level ideas of whether it's believable or whether or not I'm, quote unquote, offended by it. Well, everyone's offended by something. So, you know, I, I mean, a great friend, you with don't really get
0: to the, the meat of it. Being offended is a natural consequence of leaving one's home. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, i find I find the degree to which we have to avoid things that might offend people is somewhat weird
1: I'm uh, way more offended by romantic comedies, most romantic comedies than I am by you know violent movies or you know exploitation movies because I feel like they they lie to people in a way that is harmful because if you feel like your life is supposed to be like that and you leave, you feel lonely, you know.
0: Right, but you don't. You're not being followed by a montage. You don't have a
1: pop song playing when you look at people. No, and then it's like it's like if I leave. I understand uh, some people have a problem with violence, and that's totally understandable. But I leave a really violent movie if I liked it and it's good and it's done in the right way. And, you know, it's very cathartic for me.
0: And there's the whole thing of you do know all this is make believe, right? Yeah, like, yeah.
1: I've had to say that. <coughs> I mean, it's the the response to that is that question is is quite crazy. yeah. I mean, there are people who are mad at Craig Zobel because they think he tortured a a girl in a a restaurant. I mean, as if she's not an intelligent woman making informed decisions and they're making it together and she knows exactly where the camera is and all this stuff, he somehow tricked her into, in a way, it's a credit to the film because it it means that they really believe what's going on, but they need to sort of like, you know, they're like these people that used to um, go to Milwaukee looking for Laverne and Shirley, you know, they were in a studio in Hollywood filming (laughs) a show, you know? (laughs) It was a huge, like, a thing back in the day to go, people were going to Milwaukee looking for Laverne and Shirley. Why do they have a brewing company? Yeah, where is their house, you know what I
0: mean? We're talking with actor Pat Healy, who's in the upcoming Cheap Thrills. You'll also know him from Compliance, Great World of Sound, The Innkeepers, and many more. What are we next going to be able to see you in, just release date-wise?
1: Well, Cheap Thrills is coming out, I guess, VOD and theatrical, early 2014. I don't know if the official date yet, All but right. I think probably People January, can go to February.
0: drafthousefilms.com for more information. Yeah, they, they would you know more than fully. I would yeah. do.
1: I did a film called Kitchen Sink, which is coming out next year, I think maybe in the summer, which is a, a Sony movie directed by uh, my friend Robbie Pickering, who... Some people know directed Natural Selection is a movie that won uh, South by Southwest a few years ago. This is a great, funny movie uh, about zombies, humans, and vampires all coexisting in a town together and what happens when aliens invade, hence the title Kitchen Sink.
0: I like, okay.
1: I did, uh, I have a... Or
0: what I would also call it is the fourth story, he sees it of American Horror Story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I, or I, I'm sure that maybe the title is going to change before it comes out, because I don't know if anyone knows what that term means anymore. But uh, Draft Day, which is an Ivan Reitman movie with Kevin Costner, and I just did, um, which will be out next year sometime, either in the spring or the fall. I think they're waiting to decide. What's it
0: like to hang out with, like, the father of 80s comedy? Like,
1: Well, I mean, he's an idol to me. Yeah. and I, I I saw... You know, meatballs in the theater. I saw Stripes. And my dad on my tenth birthday said, "What movie do you want to see?" And I was like, "No question." I mean, there were all kinds of things out. Raiders of the Lost Ark. I wanted to see Stripes, uh, and I saw Ghostbusters. You know, nine times when it came out, and it was nice to work with him. And he's great. And uh, this is his first real drama, I guess. And and I was able to tell him all those things too, which is which was great. So so those movies, I have a little cameo, if you will, in the. Captain America, The Winter Soldier. I'm sworn to secrecy by Marvel about what I actually do in the movie, but I, I am in the film alongside uh, Mr. Robert Redford. Um, and uh, I just did a film called No Way, Jose. Again, another working title with uh, an old friend of mine, Adam Goldberg, who's an actor, you know, Saving pirate Ryan and Gage oh, and Confused and uh, many, many, many things. Friends. The Unusuals. The Unusuals, yeah. Uh, were were you, we you the only people who knew of that cop show? Well, I just knew that you know, Jeremy Renner is a friend of mine, and Adam is a friend of mine. Right. Uh, I remember when they were doing it, but I don't, I've never seen it, so. But uh, he, I think it's on Netflix now. You can watch yes, it on there. Yeah, as, as
0: are so many other failed shows. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, is it tribute to your deadpan that I really have no idea if I should believe you or not, <laughs> not about being in Captain America 2, The Winter Soldier? I am
1: indeed in the movie, yeah. It's weird. It's like people really don't... It's the one movie that people are like, I, really? I'm like, yes. And here's the thing.
0: I am someone who's been outspokenly not necessarily a fan of all of the Marvel, uh-huh. Marvel films. And of them, I thought Captain America, the first one, was the best.
1: Yeah, it's really good. And this is a really different film to Only. Obviously, it's a not a period piece. It's, it's No. A, and it's... uh kind of dark uh, uh if you've seen the trailer for it, you can kind of get a good sense of the tone a lot of, of it. paranoia but here's yeah. the thing
0: i mean the whole idea of doing jimmy stewart as action hero yeah. is what makes that first captain america film it's so great terrific. Yeah. yeah uh pat and i dined at Sen- sanuki in the mitsua shopping facility and you'd never been there before.
1: no never
0: mitsua is located at venice and sentinella it is a part of Grocery store, part video rental, part bookstore and cafe.
1: And there's like video game stuff and Yeah, there's it. also an anime, yeah, and, all kinds and, and, of Japanese. Tokyo uh, pop culture stuff. Things, there's yeah. also a
0: cosmetics counter. And these amazing restaurants and food courts yes. that don't do takeout, but do amazing ramen, amazing rice bowls. You had the uh, shrimp tempura udon.
1: Yeah, I had the uh, Nabiyaki udons. I had shrimp tempura, fish cakes, chicken. And chicken.
0: And I had the spicy nabiyaki, mm. which is why I've been coughing, coughing throughout all day. this yeah, entire and your nose was running, pretty all much time. pepper sprayed. Yeah. Yes, but uh, I mean, it's kind of terrific. Uh, this is be- it's the weirdest little food court Jonathan Gold used to love. <laughs> does uh,
1: he not love it anymore? Well, I'm, I'm sure
0: he does. He just doesn't. I he doesn't write about be it. Be rapturous about it lately. But I do love the idea of L.A. as a town where you go around the corner and next to the CVS are. Five places selling. That meals. was a
1: huge surprise to me when I first moved here. Is that people would go like, "We're going to this restaurant." I'm like, "Really? It's not, it's between an nail salon and a Seven 11 And then you'd see these really famous people eating in there, and then right. you'd have the most amazing meal ever. So, but I'm a big fan of the noodles in general. But the noodle soup is is a staple of my diet. I think I've had it five days this week. Did you ever eat at Lou on Vine?
0: No, I don't think very so. Very impressive, high end. L U L O U. Oh, very. You know, they have a chalkboard with a map of the United States, and they just list where they locally source everything. But again, between the Divey Burger Place, yes, and no one here is. How long English has that manicures.
1: place been there?
0: You know, they were there. They left about a year ago. Okay, they left and I'm trying to track the. O- I'm sure if I just did a millisecond of research, I could track the new location down. Uh, the chef is actually the husband of Ms. Dargis from the New York Times. Oh, uh, really? Yes. So it's a talented family, is all I'll say.
1: But they didn't live. They don't live here, do they? Yes. Ms. Oh, they, oh she works out of here, huh? Yeah. yeah. It's always,
0: she has this amazing jacket, black with like red and white flashing on the shoulder, that looks like she's about to go into the <laughs> Matrix and be really smart about it. I've
1: never met her, but she was the first really big champion of Great World of Sounds. You know, she wrote a... A New York Times. uh, There was a cover story on the art section that weekend about Sundance and how that was their best film there and all that stuff. So so we owe her a debt of gratitude,
0: or at least a glass of scotch, sure, a bowl of terrific. Although I don't know if
1: that's you know you know proper her being a critic.
0: How about some udon ramen?
1: Fantastic.
0: No, you could give her that as a token of thanks.
1: Oh, that's true. Can you mail that?
0: I don't think they did even let you do to go. Find and out where so she now.
1: lives and just knock on our door and just. Just porch of a mail slot.
0: <laughs> We've been talking uh, somewhat ramblingly with Mr. Pat Healy, an actor and screenwriter. You can find Pat on Twitter at Pat underscore Healy. Mr. Healy, thank you very kindly for joining us on the lunch.
1: James, it's always my pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: Until next time, out there in podcast land, you have been listening to the Lunch, a podcast about film and food. I'm your regular host, James Rocky. You can find me on Twitter at James Rocky, R-O-C-C-H-I, or find this podcast at The Lunch Podcast. We are, of course, brought to you by Snoot Entertainment, makers of fine and independent films. And until next time, go see a movie, have lunch with your friends, talk about it.